You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. It's your host, Aaron Broverman. And with me today is Joe Yanni. Joe is our audio editor. He does the audio editing for the Never Sleeps Network group of shows. Mm-hmm. And he does that He does that by day. But by night, he works on his own <laughs> uh, self-published comic. Welcome, Joe. Well, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I've been involved in podcasting for seven years, and this marks the first time I've been a guest on somebody's show. That's cool. There's I was hoping a, it wouldn't take this long, but I'm, I'm excited nonetheless, yeah. There's a there's a first for everything, for sure. For sure, for sure. Usually, like, how this works is, well, you know how this works. You, you've listened to a bunch of my podcasts before because you, you, Every one of them. you edit on my show, right? Yep. So I have to edit this afterwards. <laughs> exactly. That's going to be really difficult. Editing, good, Joseph. editing yourself. Yeah. I, I, this is probably going to take a really long time to... To edit, right? And do I want to make this a meta episode or not? Do yeah. I want to talk to myself? Because I can right now. It says, Joseph, you're listening to this right now in the future. Take this part out. This isn't good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But you're here to talk about your comic. We're not we're, we're not here to talk about your editing. No. Because this is a comic book show and, and we need to we need to have a conversation about comics. That's what the listeners expect. Mm-hmm. I I want to get started by talking about your your interest in comics and how how it got started i was lucky to have been exposed to comics super super early like as soon as i can perceive what media is comics were right there uh mad magazine i know it's a magazine not technically a comic but it is done in the comic style that was a great starting point for me because it was the comedic inclinations that got me thinking about comedy as well as uh comics it was the art it was the way the whole thing got put together, I knew this was the format that I wanted to tell stories in. I have a general interest in a lot of different uh, branches. Um, if I had to draw sort of like my life's career, you'd see almost like a spider web of like, oh, there's film off in this direction, there's video games off in this direction, and books off in this direction, and comics is another one of those directions. So where did you grow up? I grew up here in Toronto, although it wasn't always Toronto. It was at first just considered Weston, and then Torontonians, long, lifelong Torontonians will remember how our city was amalgamated around, I think, like 1995, 96, somewhere close to the end of the 90s. And so my area then became more like officially Toronto, but it's always kind of been Toronto to me. It's like, it's the easiest, most go-to answer. It's like, where do you live? I live in Toronto. The actual physical area for the Torontonians specifically would be the Islington and Steeles area. It's slowly gaining ground in terms of a population. I've only just begun to see condos being uh, being planned out. Okay. A few locations are being uh, eyed very, very carefully. But prior to that, it was actually mostly like a cottage territory. It's It's a great little area because it's very peaceful, very serene. Uh, I can get to the, the energetic parts of Toronto when I want to, but otherwise it's... It, it, it almost feels like a like a shire, like a starting zone kind of area. I see. Yeah. So, so do you still live there now? Or? I do. Okay, I do. Okay. Still living with the rents. I've made attempts to live on my own. The rents? Your parents? Yeah. Yeah. The okay. parents. Yeah. I managed to successfully live on my own for about a year. I don't know if successful is the best word, seeing as how I'm not there anymore. But uh, it was, of course, very expensive. And so, yeah, I'm... 20, 24 out of the 25 years I've been on this earth have been in that house. Oh, okay. Interesting. So did you always collect comics? Like, did you have a local shop that you would go to? There's not much in the way of like local shops where I am. The only like local shop that had any of my interests was Video Game Genie. It was just like a game store you could rent stuff at. But anytime I wanted to get something, I had to go out of my way to get it. I, I didn't like go into town. Like yeah, I didn't go into town. I mean, you know, uh, it wasn't really until like halfway through high school I started feeling like I could just travel around on my own. Before that, it was go to the mall, go to school, go see a movie, uh, go on vacation from time to time with my family, hang out at a friend's house. Like it never occurred to me to like seek those things out. So things always kind of came to me. Um, I you know, and growing up too, I was always okay with like. I don't know, going to 
big box retail stores to grab things. Like I collect the Walking Dead series and most of the issues have been picked up at chapters, but I mean, I also have gone stuff at like the hair tarantula on young street. Hair tarantula was my, my original shop. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm very used to the Harry Tarantula because that when I first moved to Toronto, that was the original shop yeah. that I would that I would shop at. And and to touch on it very briefly, it does really feel like that shop that people see in their heads when they think comic book shop. It just cluttered to the nth degree. Yeah, it was of sort stuff. of the old sort of the old school version of what you would picture a comic shop to be for sure. It's sort of dark, th- that sort of basementy sort of thing. Yeah, but even though pe- it's basementy, but it's funny because it's like on the second floor of a building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But but it's also very cool because like a lot of the people there, Harry Tarantula is is known more for being the game shop. Yeah, it it's uh, known for. It's a Magic the Gathering specialty. Yeah, I'm a huge like, Magic player. You know, Dungeons and Dragons and that sort of thing. Not so much a Dungeons and Dragons player, although I really like it. Yeah. So, but but it sounds like, you know, besides sort of sporadic journeys to comic shops every so often, you'd get most of your comics at like in graphic novel form at like major yeah. major bookstores. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of the graphic novel format because I really do enjoy, even if the end of the story isn't the end, hence the cyclical nature of storytelling, it's always great when I can open a book, read the story, finish the story, close it, put it on my shelf. Uh, I uh, collected uh, quite a bit of comics. I had a, this huge, huge phase around like um, first and second year of college. That's when I really got into Alan Moore. Uh, Watchmen was just hitting theaters, and I never actually heard of Watchmen before. So if that movie had done anybody any favors, it was exposing people to Watchmen. Uh-huh, uh, I'd seen the movie because, you know, respectfully, the movie got my attention before the book did. So I saw the movie, got a feel for the story, and then had to go pick up the comic or the, the graphic novel. Uh- Ah, so you're one of those, like, new generation comic fans. I have to say that, but, I mean, if there's anything I want to identify as is I'm a fan of story. I mean, if you see my collection at home, you'll see a couple of shelves of comics. You'll see some shelves of TV shows. You'll see some movies. You'll see probably a shelf's worth of games. Games have been my strong suit growing up. Um, Yeah, what I mean, though, is you're, you're one of those people who got into comics, like, through the movies. So yeah. you've really benefited from this boom of geek culture that we're and, going through right now. Like, I, I'm one of those people that's kind of grateful to see how successful the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been because it's proving that these are not just this consumable nothing that people just, you know, read and then toss away. These are meaningful stories and these are meaningful mythologies that people really get into and really connect with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is it... Through sort of this, I want to call it a new interest because it's relatively new that these movies yeah. have been coming out and that we've been able to see them. Is it through this new interest that you that you wanted to get in to start doing it, to start actually creating a comic? I always wanted to make comics. Oh, I actually forgot to bring it today. But I, I mean, I still have some of the old stories that I had come up with when, say, I was in elementary school. And I went to a Roman Catholic elementary school. I've gone through the whole Catholic system. And uh, they weren't the most encouraging of comedic development or comic development, sorry. Uh, and in fact, I remember one time in grade eight, I had a, fin- just finished a page. And of all the people to rip it out of my hands and crumple it was my teacher. I guess knowing that like they didn't like it kind of spurred me on to keep doing it because it's like, why is this thing getting that reaction out of them? But yeah, I've been I've been trying to tell stories through the comic format for a long time because I've always really appreciated one the accessibility of it. I mean, it's the the perfect balance of the text and the pictures, and two, just the beauty that can go into making each story look and feel a certain way. I tried telling this one story with my buddy from high school. We had done this after we both finished our post secondary schooling it was this other zombie story it was his idea it was called noon and it was about this uh new age school that had all the security measures to keep people as safe as possible but then the virus breaks out on the inside the whole school shuts down and all the kids are trapped on the inside with it and they're trying to figure out how do they get out of the school and survive at the same time so only like that's just a back burner story now i can't do it right now but there's like another whole bunch of stories that I just wanted to tell so badly. Mm. In fact, the thing that I've sort of like picked up on, because I was thinking about 
how I would go about explaining this on the comic book podcast is that there's a difference between the stuff that I want to create and the stuff I want to consume. Like I love playing games. I do Smash Brothers. I do Defense of the Ancients. I do Magic the Gathering. And I'm really intuitive and picking up on sort of like the game and things, which isn't just within game itself. It also permeates in other elements of storytelling and even like in business. I see. Like like the principles of game. Yeah, fundamentals is a good word I like to use too. Yeah. Oh, yeah but I, but uh, I only very lightly considered being a game designer. It's like I'm such a big fan of games. I'm okay with playing them. Novels, either way, movies, there's some movies I want to make, but I'm mostly okay with watching them. TV shows, same thing. Sure, I have some ideas, but I'm a big fan of watching TV because being such an enigmatic thinker and always using my creative brain, I've always appreciated TV as a format because it's doing everything for me and I can actually just sit back and watch. Uh, but comics is the one that I want to make. Ah, uh, I see, I yeah. see. Cool. So... You mentioned how, what attracts you about the medium. When you were getting into making comics, did you, did you pick up any like reference materials like Scott McCloud's Understanding yes, Comics? Yes, my, my artist who worked with me on the I Am Grim, he recommended I get that. I picked it up and yeah, that book is comprehensive. If you haven't read it, Scott McCloud's uh, Understanding Comics is basically the the bible that sort of gives comics <laughs> yeah it sort of that gives works. comics uh legitimacy it tells you sort of what the strengths of the medium is yeah and how how to uh you know exploit that for your own yeah for your own creative pur- purposes it's sort of like a philosophical uh textbook uh, on comics and what they're about yeah and uh, and how far the medium actually goes back he goes all the way back to caveman days and and you know writing on walls yeah. and that sort of thing and says that those are are comics and and i happen to believe that so yeah so it's interesting so so at least you're getting in a good fundamental understanding of the medium itself mm-hmm. that, that that's cool i like that this this comic i am grim all one word it's uh it's a the i am grim oh okay and now to be fair initially Initially, the story was going to be called uh, Reaper, but that has come up in like seven different comics and games and shows. Yeah, I think there's a show called Reaper. Yeah, there's also a show called Grim. Grim is another one. Uh, For a while, it was I Am Grim, but because I Am Grim is a statement, I'm like, no, that's his name. He calls himself that. So now it's the I Am Grim. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. So where did you get this idea from? Oh, man. I don't... Okay, so this one came to, started, the the whole story wasn't in the dream, but it did start as a dream for me. I am a very vivid dreamer. I keep track of my dreams. I recall them. And I even uh, practice trying to be lucid in them from time to time. Uh, Because the, believe me, if you can actually like get anything out of your dream state, there is a lot of really good resource and reference material from there. Well, I used to, I used to record my dreams. Like when I would go to sleep, if if I could remember, I'd wake up and write down what I could remember from the dream from the night before. Do you, do you do that as well? I uh, try to uh, rehearse it in my head. Like I try to retell how it happened. I've tried doing the writing things down. It didn't sit with me for whatever reason. But I guess it's uh, the principle that if I can remember this dream, there was a reason why I'm remembering it. I see. So yeah. this idea came from a dream. It did. Um, I'm assuming most, if not all, the listeners will still have to read this comic for themselves. Uh, the story begins with the main character, Howard. He wakes up, you know, hence waking up from the dream. And there's just this pile of slain monsters who are referred to as Grimms throughout the story. That's this mystery. Like, how did he do this? He Statistically, him versus that many, with how little resources he had, he should be dead. So the, uh, the, the, one of the ongoing arcs is him trying to sort of like work out for himself how he did it. It's not that he doesn't remember it, but it's like, that was really crazy. But the dream itself was, there was a man, there was a cloak. There were the undead. The undead do show up in my dreams a lot. And he was fighting them. And he wasn't just fighting them, but he was shouting. It was like he was trying to talk to somebody. And maybe he was trying to talk to me. Maybe he was trying to talk to God. Maybe he was just talking to an imaginary friend. But I remembered that part. And so I wake up. And the first thing that came to my mind is, this is a comic book character. And when you get that gut reaction, you you have to run with that. And uh, then I just started thinking, like, what 
what kind of world does this guy live in? Usually when you think of like zombie stories, you don't think of somebody that takes the fight to the undead like that. They usually are the ones that get themselves killed. It's usually about trying to survive, trying to avoid interior conflicts amongst the humans. That's where the social commentary always comes in. Uh, It didn't hurt that I was also like a really, I'm also a really big zombie fan too. I collect the Walking Dead. I've watched the show. We have viewing parties like every Sunday for it. I dress up as Rick Grimes for uh, Fan Expo. Uh, it's like I'm I'm definitely into the zombie side of it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that it was zombies in this thing. So we're going to add that in too. And then it was just sort of like logical progression. It's how, what kind of world does this guy exist in? What kind of monsters are these? Where was he? How did he do all this? So the first issue of the comic is trying to answer that question and then build the world from there. Okay, so that leads into my next question. Can you give like a summary of the plot, like like what the first issue is about and what people can can expect? The first issue is an introduction to uh, Howard's dynamic. He is more or less a good person. Um, if you're looking at like the D and D alignment, he'd either be regular good or lawful good, whatever the case may be. But he also has this very direct relationship with God. He is talking to God. Like he will say, he would like try to have conversations with God. He prays to God. And he meets up with this character called the the sheriff. And a lot of what you see in the issue one, you think you've got it pegged, but it's it, it does get sort of like broken down and deconstructed as you uh, as we get to the next issues. The sheriff character is just one of many people who have been given a badge in this new sort of reformed society. Howard, he has been held captive for a very long time, so he doesn't he doesn't get to see how society sort of like reconstructs itself. The sheriff is actually a badge, and what happens is in this new society, if you commit a crime, you are either going to be exiled from society, which is as close to being killed as you can get because of how dangerous the outside world is still, or you can take up a badge and become a good authority figure. And so this is a guy called Sheriff Marshall. He is one of these people. So he meets up with Howard. He tries to get Howard back to town. And he's kind of suspicious about the events. He's trying to radio in and explain what's going on. And Howard and him, they don't make it back. Uh, Things just go from bad to worse for Howard. And that's where the end of the first issue starts. So the Sorry, w- that's the end of the first issue. I see. So, so the world that he wakes up in, Howard. Yeah. Is that a post-apocalyptic world? Is, Let's, uh, is, that a, is that a zombie world akin to uh, Rick Grimes waking up at the beginning of The Walking Dead? Uh, what are we talking about? Luckily here? for Howard, things have progressed a lot better than Rick's wake up. Although, because the I do kind of nod to The Walking Dead, but with the character being called the sheriff, I'm, it was more of like trying to tribute The Walking Dead more than anything because of how much of an inspiration it was. Um, you're looking at how a society has progressed in 10 years post-outbreak. There are parts of the world that are actually fine. Like, it's not apocalypse for them anymore. They've restored power, they've restored order, they've restored government. Uh, They've got their internet back, they're doing okay. You know, I mean, obviously a lot of people have died and uh, things aren't exactly the way they were, but it's more or less back to normal for a lot of people. Some people have actually sort of like embrace this new change and they've used it as the opportunity to sort of restructure society uh where this takes place in canada they didn't exactly get a lot of worldwide help because there is such a still a large quantity of the monsters of the grims and so they sort of like took it upon themselves to redo society on their own terms so they, they've changed everything they've changed the currency system they've changed their sense of government and uh, order They've changed the living conditions. They've changed power consumption. They've even changed the way they identify themselves as well. Uh, How so in the way that they identify themselves? One of the things about it being a comic is that I want to make sure that my comic characters have been endowed with some element of like comic mythological power. But they're not mutants. They don't have superpowers. They don't shoot fire or anything like that. But their their personalities are exaggerated in ways where they've taken themselves and they've brought it up. Um, one of the main tenets of the story is that a lot of the characters, while they have survived physically, uh, they've endured a lot of mental and emotional damage because of all this 
deconstruction of society and, you know, being... The zombie apocalypse. The zombie apocalypse. It's a huge mental... I mean, people are dealing with mental issues in a perfectly normal society. So you can imagine how much worse it gets when people who are, like, questioning reality are now being faced with this. And so what happens is a lot of the characters are in this position that we don't have to be in, where... You know, when we are told that we have something wrong with us, we can choose to sort of like face it on our own. We can get therapy. We can medicate. Uh, these people, they don't really get that same level of treatment. So a lot of these people have had to take these negative sides of themselves, take their conditions, take their quote unquote mental illnesses, which, by the way, is not a term I am a fan of using. I've always preferred methods in which people are mentally injured. But that's a whole other podcast. But they've taken their mental conditions and they've found ways to make themselves powerful for it. Um, one of the uh, first people that Howard meets, she's not in this first issue. She's going to be a recurring character in later issues. Her name is Fletcher. And her uh, sort of like character dynamic is that she's trying to, she's kind of like a, a pointer for people. She helps people who are lost. And so in the second issue, Howard follows the directions that Fletcher leaves for him. She like actually puts arrows in trees, hence she's an arrow maker. Um, she also gets all of her um, uh, ability to fight by like attaching several sticks back to back to back and then taking a high point. So it's like she has this gigantic spear that she uses. So she's very efficient at taking out the monsters and even fighting other people. Uh, her problem though is that she's schizophrenic and she can't really medicate it and she actually doesn't even want to instead she has let this schizophrenia this detachment from reality al allow her to be more of the person that she's always kind of assumed she was fletcher is nigh convinced that she's in a video game uh, which is a way of me bringing in my video game uh, expertise into this uh into this world howard even goes so far as to like see fletcher minding her business on the top of uh the roof of her cabin and she's got like the, the the exclamation point on her head that she's like wired to be like a hat it's like why are you wearing that oh i have some uh, i have some jobs for you but i prefer to call them quests i see i see yeah so Basically, people are allowed to sort of embrace yeah. their their mental deficiencies yeah. and and use them to their advantage, yeah. or use them as coping mechanisms for the world that they're in, like yeah. Fletcher is doing by framing the real world as a video game. Yeah, and they're and not just allowed; they're encouraged too. Um, it's a way of taking negative qualities and trying to find the positive in them. Like Howard, he learns that he has such a like a incredible amount of anxiety uh to the point where when he's in a difficult situation he starts picturing all the ways he's going to get killed in the situation and we actually get to see him picturing that and then it cuts back to him we're like well i'm not going to do that that was a bad idea and they're trying to tell him be be empowered by this use this as an ability because it's kind of like a spidey sense is like he okay well if you assume you're going to die making that choice don't make that choice you mentioned how you know you wanted to tie in your video game uh, background you wanted to tie in your love of, of zombies into the comic yeah d d do you have some experience with with uh, mental illness or, or mental uh, deficiencies? I do I do which is why I'm very passionate about the subject a schizophrenia is a genetic that runs through at least one side of my family I don't know about the other side but lord knows they probably have uh, some other ones too. Um, I personally have grappled with some issues. I've grappled with anxiety and depression. And I think a lot of people have. As much as people are trying to have discussions about it, it's like the discussion keeps kind of going around in very similar directions. It's like, you know, everything's going to be okay. Everything's not okay. Everything's going to be okay. It's there aren't more angles being addressed to facilitate the discussion. So one of the things that I'm hoping to do is get people to open up a little bit more about them and maybe even find some strength in these things that, by and large, they have to live with for the majority, if not all their life. Uh, did you grow up with people in your family with mental illnesses? Did you yourself have to deal with I, anyone that you, that, you, that you knew in your family having a mental illness, given that it runs through your family? My entire family, I mean, part of it may just be our Italian heritage, but we've all uh, grappled with some pretty bad anger issues as well. We, we've all been facing depression. We've all... My mom, she's been on medication for almost 15 years now. 
you know, I mean, I remember the person she was before and I remember the person that she was afterwards and she's still the same person, but things have changed. And I didn't, and I never thought that the changes were any better. They were just different. How so? Like, well, my mom used to lose her temper and usually when she lost her temper, I always thought that I deserved it and I usually did. And, um, then the meds came along and I never really saw her lose her temper pretty much ever again. And I mean, I get that generally speaking, losing your temper isn't an incorrigible asset, but if it was the right thing to do, or if it was the necessary thing to do, I would rather it have just happened than uh, have the action and not have the, the correct consequence to follow it. So emotionally, because of the medication, she became kind of deadened a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just a tad. And again, like 95% the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. But like emotionally, in terms of the volatility was sort of gone. Uh, yeah, I, that's, I like that volatility. Okay. That, uh, that does answer the, yeah. Oh, okay, I see, I see. So, so, so you do have experience. Was it hard growing up, like, with, with all this kind of going on and swirling around you get in used your to family it. history? You get used to it. And, uh, how, like, how did you, how do you, you, you assume it's normal, you live it every day and eventually you start to think that, well, this is just the way things are. And you're often surprised when other places aren't like that because it's your world and you've been in for so long and you can't live in the same house with the same people for that period of time and then not assume or not feel like it's it's your it's your go-to it's your familiarity it's how you sort of like ground yourself in the world because it's it's where you come back to i mean don't get me wrong i mean we we all love each other we are still close we're together we've still got it better than a lot of other people but i've also been able to make a lot of good friends over the years more so i'm still like really close with some people from elementary school we still get together at least like once every two weeks or once a week if we're lucky i Met a great crew through uh, Don Bosco through high school. We're still together. We still were the ones that are watching The Walking Dead together. And we also didn't have a lot of money. So the through line through a lot of this for me was when something comes to you, you appreciate it. You don't take it for granted. When you make a friend, you appreciate that friend. When you get taken out for dinner, you know, for Wendy's or whatever, you appreciate that. When you get a video game, you play the shit out of that game. You don't just use it and then want something else so nothing is taken for granted not not because of because of the background that you come from yeah you mentioned about how seeing things the way that they were at your place and assuming that they were normal because it was the way that you grew up Mm -hmm. and then when you managed to sort of get outside of that of that environment you realized that that the things that you were experiencing weren't quite as normal as you thought that they were can you give me an example of of that well for one i mean my mom and dad are together how most of my friends really they come from uh quote unquote broken homes i mean a lot of my friends have parents mom lives over here dad lives over here and i notice how that changes a lot of their perceptions like for one just from a relationship perspective because i'm so accustomed to the idea of two people staying together even though it's difficult at times that to me is sort of like what I keep an eye out for but I can imagine how a lot of my friends don't see eye to eye on that because they're not used to that more so they're afraid of that because what if you know you uh, what if I'm from a household where my my parents were apart and then I wanted to be together with somebody my 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 psychology is of this isn't going to work if we're together and uh, the the first uh, girl I got together with, she uh, faced that issue because she came from a home where her mom and dad weren't together. And I mean, that's just like physical location, like putting people in one room or another. The work ethic changes. There's changes in 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 the way that we sort of engage each other in rhetoric. How involved do are the parents are in the kids' lives or not involved? Uh, are the parents uh, really really strict? Are they uh, uh, lackadaisical do they smoke uh mary jane as much as the kids do uh, you know i i know some people whose parents are the ones handing me 
stuff to ingest into my system. And you can tell they've been at it for a while because they have good taste in what they ingest. So comparatively, you felt like the place where you grew up in was more stable than what you were seeing from, from your friends. It's, it's, it's my normal. It won't be everybody else's normal, but it's my normal. Yeah, one of the things I've always kind of really enjoyed in watching, especially more on the fantasy side, isn't so much the spectacle or how grandiose things get, but I've always been really attracted to when things are normal or when people are doing normal things. Like how, say, are you a big fan of uh, the show Community? Yeah, I know Community. I don't. I don't watch it, but I know. I know it's it's got a big following. Yeah, and I've seen I'm, a few episodes. I'm one of those followers. I'm the guy that went to the Community Trivia Night last year by Exploding Zebra, and won. So like, I it's a uh, it's a it's a very big show for me. And the 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 one of the core sort of dynamics of that show is that the group always sits together at the table and they talk and that and they use that structurally to determine how the rest of the episode is going to play out by explaining who's up to what, what are they, what's on their minds, who are they going to be interacting with. But it's also that constant. They're always going to get together and they're always going to talk. And you're going to see that at least once an episode. And with maybe one or two exceptions, pretty much every episode of Community has gotten to that point. Ah, So the way that you relate to Community is that's that's a comforting thing for you the whole idea of like the family table yeah right because is that something that you had in your house yeah yeah we got to we i mean we don't we haven't really done it much since like i don't know probably halfway through high school by my estimation but growing up that's sort of that was sort of a priority in your house it was it was a thing that some people wanted more than other so we did it we still managed to pull it off during like Holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, that kind of thing. I see, I see. Yeah. G- given how you grew up and, and the things that your your parents and the rest of your family were sort of dealing with, did you find that these sorts of, uh, you know, geek culture interests, these interests that you have, the, the video games, the comics, that sort of thing, did that provide an escape for you when things got uh, a little too heavy? or felt like a direction for me. I felt like this is somewhere that I have some say in things or I have some control or I have some something to distract myself with. But it's, I mean, it's not like I'd shut the door and uh, try to drown out the noises of chaos or anything like that. I mean, it's still by and large a peaceful home. But um, yeah, those were all things that certainly helped me uh, get through to where I am now. And And where are you now? Right now, I mean, you've you're taking an interest in in doing this comic. How many issues uh, of the comic have been produced so far? I've only got the one, the issue one. Uh, and it is uh, free to read on the website, giantenemycomic.com. Awesome. I've written issue two, and I've been sort of like combing over it, but I've always been kind of like a small steps person. So for me, I mean, for one, I even need to know if people think this comic is any good. So I, I want people to come and read it and give me their feedback and take that feedback and apply it to the next episode. Yeah, may, or maybe you'll revi- you'll go back and revise the first issue. I wouldn't mind doing that. Um, I paid for the first issue out of pocket with money that I'd worked for. And, I mean, I just want to tell the story. So I'm, I'm probably going to make the second issue one way or the other because, for me, this story is trying to fight its way out you know it wants to be told so badly and it unfortunately i'm the guy to do it uh that's more like the artist talking to the muse thing but yeah i mean um if you go onto the giantamitycomic.com uh there is a downloads page uh where you can download the pdf and the cbz and uh it is digitally 50 cents I was thinking of actually just doing it for one cent. For me, this is the first comic that I ever fully put out that I'm putting my name on. I'm not going to charge people $4.99 to read it digitally. People tend to wait for sales. People like deals. This is, at least by my standards, a good story. And if it means that, sure, I'm not going to make that much off of it right away, cool. As long as you read it. Okay, cool. That's awesome. So you're the writer for it. Yes. You 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 created the story, uh, but you don't do the art. You have an artist. Who who's the artist that that works in the comics? Uh, the artist goes by uh, Sean Daly. Shout out. 
Root. He is terrific. He's a really great guy. He works in classic mediums. He does some touching up on Photoshop. Everybody does, but he mostly does the art and the coloring and the inking by hand, which I was very eager to look out for. I don't necessarily like reject or am repulsed by digital mediums, but I have kind of like an old school mentality and I love seeing people produce art through the hand-drawn mediums. And so I put out a Craigslist ad, kind of like giving the same outline to the comic that I would have given to you. And I got a number of artists who were interested in it, which by the way, don't underestimate Craigslist. It will save your life or change it. There were some other people that I had messaged, but I saw his art and I'm like, that's it. That's the art right there. And he is prolific. I mean, I'm following him on Twitter and he is always doing art for people. He's always putting together comic book panels. His price is good. He is open to doing other work too. I mean, if you like the way he he he, he draws and uh, illustrates, you, there's a really good chance that, you know, you can get in touch with him and he'll uh, work with you on your thing. Where Where can we find him? I may mess this up, but luckily I have access to a microphone. So worst case scenario is I'll record myself saying it properly. But uh, uh, SeanDaly.ca, that's S-H-A-W-N-D-A-L-E-Y dot C-A. Okay, cool. That's that's awesome. So, and you found it through Craigslist. In the production of this, what was it like working as part of a collaboration? How did you find your first uh, comic book experience. I let him kind of have a little bit more say in the method to it because he's had more of the professional experience. What other things has he has he worked on? Well, I mean, I uh, he does his own story called uh, Terraquil, okay, which uh, he has since been able to have successfully backed on Kickstarter. I don't know too many of the other like major stories that he's done, but. He's definitely like worked professionally. Uh, he's he's mentioned to me that uh, him and Image have talked uh, in the past about doing some things, and he's also one of the featured artists on Underbelly Comics. They're one of the Canadian publishers. I see. I see. Yeah, but he he told me sort of like his setup. Like first, he will do say the the sketches, the very basic rudimentary outlines of it, kind of like the storyboards, and then it goes into the line art, and then it goes into the coloring. And I also wanted to make sure that like the the script was formatted properly to best be for him. To do that, I uh, have I I unearthed the Marvel Civil War, which I had picked up a number of years ago, and I got the the uh, collector's one that actually had the script for Civil War on the back end of the book. So that was really useful for me because it allowed me to see exactly like how the format is done. Ah, ah so you learned how to do the script format. For sure, From yeah. the back of Civil War, basically. Yeah, I mean, it was as good an example as it can get. In fact, I was kind of relieved to look at that example because, I mean, it was done professionally, but he took some some asides here or there, some, like, jokes that he'd say to the, to the artist. And I'm like, not only is he teaching me how this works, but he's also making it enjoyable for me to read, too. And that's, like, one of the things that so I think... So you have to thank uh, Mark Millar for... for Millar? Teaching you, how to re- teaching you how to do the scripts. Uh, him and uh, Scott McCloud are on my list of thanks so far. I'll nice. thank Alan Moore too, but I don't want to... He's so busy, I don't want to take up his time. Nice. Um, one of the, I think one of the things that people... I think maybe you'll uh, agree or disagree with me on this, but when they look at the finished result of a comic and they see that it's some words and a lot of art, and they might get the idea that it didn't take as much effort as, say, to write a novel because that's all written text. But like when you're writing the script for these things... You're as descriptive as you would have been if you had written it as a novel anyways. Like, I can't just send him the script and say, oh, this is a church or this is this is a field. I'm like, okay, so here's the color of the church. Here are the here's the interior. Here's how many floor it is. Uh, Are there pews? And the more details I put in, the more that detail is then translated into the finished result. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how detailed do you get it sounds like you're you're doing like the dc method which is sort of the classic method of comic scripting where you're describing mm-hmm. what's in the panel but how much do you describe of what's in the panel do you do you go I, by like camera shot or i i do think framing is really important so i'm always suggesting uh, how to uh, frame the frame the shot and i like to get kind of creative with my framing i don't just reference like 
the 10 shots that you always see in movies or whatever. But like one thing I'll say is this is from the perspective of a crow and the crow is up in a tree. So we're always trying to imagine who is looking at this frame. Is it a cat who, not that there's actually a cat there, but if a cat were there, how would the cat see what's happening right now? So that's that from the underneath looking up kind of shot. Sometimes I will just use like the basic medium wide or shoulder to shoulder. And then when it comes to detail, um, one of the fundamentals that I picked up on more from game design is that if you're going to, I think and this does work in pretty much most of the storytelling, but if you're going to bring something in, make sure that it has some sort of like relevance or importance to it. Don't put in details that, that the wall they might look more like something if there's no uh, relevance or they don't do anything then it is just uh, fluff so I'm always um, making sure I tell them what's important in the shot what do people need to have their eyes drawn to is there like a candlestick that's uh, leaning to, to one way is that a tell for something like how I'm say like Tarantino will put little visual clues in his movies to give you an idea of what's going on. I will also use pictures because I always feel like, well, it's a picture image based format. We should probably just use pictures to uh, get it started. So I will go online and I'll go through image searches. References. References, exactly. And I'll, and I'll spend a while on this and be like, that's not my church. That's not the church. That's not the church. That could be the church. Scroll down, scroll down. No, 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 no. Oh shit. That other church was really good. Scroll back up, get the church. Okay, so you are you're giving him references in terms of yeah. how you want things to look and that kind of thing, and cool. Yeah, I mean the uh, the the download does also contain the script too. So if people are like curious to see exactly what I said that turned into the comic, I'm full transparency. Go have a look. Cool. It it can be a full tutorial for some people, I guess. I think so. If they want, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a master or anything, but I take it seriously. I'm what, trying to do as professional as I can. How was the learning curve? Um, like, what did you learn? Because, I mean, this is your first comic experience. Yeah. So I just want to get a sense of, like, any mistakes that you may have made that you that you learned from. What were things that you, you if you could, you'd go back and do over again or you'd yeah. do again for the next issue? I would continue to look more into the micro scale, making sure that the small details are all kept in check. One thing that I remember needing to fix was a character in the latter half of the issue is holding a heavy weapon. Uh, one of the quick things about the weapons in the I Am Grim is that they've been redesigned to be more sort of like resource uh, uh, based based, and not so intensive on it either. So the sheriff, he has a rifle that, that fires these um, little metal balls that if you ricochet it properly, it'll come back to you. So it has the boomerang effect. So it's like reusable ammunition. And so this guy has this heavy weapon that does that, but shoots like several out at once to clear an area a lot quicker. And he he's getting attacked. And so he's just like firing it randomly and it's, uh, and it's causing friendly fire. And um, I saw the finished picture and he's holding a regular rifle. And I'm like, most people aren't going to notice the problem here, but I did. And I need to fix that. Yeah, I see. I yeah. see. Okay. And I, and I was, and respectfully, I'm sure other people would pick up on it too and be like, that's not what he was carrying before. And you really do need to look out for that because if you're asking for people's time, make sure that you don't disrespect that by fix it, by not fixing something that you could have fixed. Like continuity. And that's continuity. Sort of, yeah. I understand. I understand. I think, I think a lot of creators are, are interested in continuity. And you know, if you're, yeah. if you're working for, the bigger companies or you're doing your own thing, continuity is really important and things have to remain consistent. Mm -hmm. So now that you've done this one issue, when is, are you working on the next one now? Or? I actually finished writing the script for it. And at this point, it's just like adding little details, touch-ups, trying to punch it up, make sure it's funnier. And it's, it's down to, am I just going to like, empty half my bank account to pay for the next episode or am I going to remember that I do have this first issue and I do need to not uh, slam on the the gas and try to get to that next step because I'm trying to just do this you know one rung at a time so right now I just want to talk about the I'm Grim promote it where I can get people interested in it and to some extent issue two I would like to have at least in some way be paid for through issue one because I really want to know that this is something that people are genuinely interested in and want to see more of. You're trying to generate demand, obviously. Yeah, I want to generate demand. I want people to want the story. 
you know, I definitely want to tell the story, but I want to make sure that it's something that enough people are going to be interested in. And I think overall, I don't mean, I don't know if the Adam Grimm can ever be a Batman. I don't know if anybody can be a Batman, but I do know that there are a lot of people who just want someone to talk about the kind of things that no one else is talking about and to make heroes of that. Uh, I see. I see. Are you, have you ever considered maybe furthering your comic education? Like there are a lot of classes uh, that are offered uh, here, like the comic book boot camp taught by Ty Templeton and there's the Max DeMutt animation uh, studio. They're called something else now, but it used to be called, uh, Max the Mind, those sorts of places in Toronto where you yeah. can sort of learn uh, the different tools for the trade from like the actual professionals. Have you thought about maybe yeah. registering for one of those classes? Yeah, I definitely thought about it. Time management has been tricky. Um, dipping my feet into a lot of different pools, as they say, which it holds me back because if you have people who kind of like focus on their one thing, they get ahead in that one thing a lot better. But... I'm more of the bringing like, like a bunch of dials all kind of like bringing them all up a little bit at a time. Like I have comedy work that I'm doing. I have some uh, uh, professional gaming work that I'm doing. The comic work is work that I'm doing. Editing, had to be doing that as well. For, uh, for audio, like yeah. podcast editing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not in a, I'm not in a rush to get it. I don't feel like I need to get the next story out tomorrow. In fact, I feel like the more time I have the better the story gets because it's giving me more time to think about it and to consider certain things. Like the whole uh, Howard being a modern-day Grim Reaper was the elevator pitch that I actually had a difficult time coming to for a very long time. But now I have it, and that's just because I've given this time. But yeah, I mean, definitely. I I, I, I never really liked school. I, I enjoyed my college program because I took the comedy uh, performance program at Humber. And that opened my eyes on a lot of different things. And I've taken some classes since then. And yeah, I mean, but at some point, I will be in that class. Sounds good. It's always good to have a direction, a trajectory, uh, you know, a, a, a sense of constant improvement and excellence. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I really respect that. So what is the future of this comic? You mentioned that Howard eventually figures out that he's a modern-day Grim Reaper. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yes, I can. Uh, this is going to get into some spoiler-heavy territory as to the sort of the mythology of this character. Well, but you don't I, have to give a lot of detail. You can just give sort gonna, of what it, what yeah, it is. I mean, I'm going to explain him as much as I think somebody would want to explain, say, why Batman is the way he is. I mean, I want people to know this because I want people to know what makes him so special. So... Uh, first, you have to understand that the the Grimms in this story, the monsters throughout, they certainly draw a lot from zombies, but they're not, strictly speaking, zombies. They have a lot in common, hunger for flesh, uh, stupid, relentless, but the Grimms particularly are more advanced in a lot of ways. They adapt to their environment. So if a Grim fall, uh, if a Grimm is in a forest, he'll start to take on the forest qualities, and you'll see like branches and growing on him and vines and moss. Um, Grimms also have finite energy, so when they run out of energy, they'll just like collapse and they'll go to sleep, and they don't get back up again until they've stored enough energy to continue moving around. And you'll find that they're like eating bugs that crawl into their mouth or mold or mildew. So it's a slow process, but they get it. And what happens is there is this discovery to bring both humans and Grimms into this next step. To use an analogy that I'm not a huge fan of, this is kind of like adding vampires into zombies. Because what happens is you become sort of this ascendant where now you have all of the strengths of being undead, but you got your conscious back. So you remember who you are. And that's where Howard will eventually get to. He becomes one of these ascendants. And most of the uh, ascendants they start to disappear as the story winds down because society is trying to undo what their own society did. And Howard um, tries to maintain a low profile towards the end of it. And so now that he's this ascendant, he has decided that I can actually use this power to do the work of the Grim Reaper, even if I'm not necessarily going to call myself that. Cool. So he starts as a human. Yeah. 
and he gets this power and he eventually becomes a living modern day Grim Reaper. That's right. That sounds really exciting. What is the inciting incident, the thing that gives him the this ascendant power that you're okay. talking about? Uh, again, uh, this is spoiler, but whatever. So he, at the end of the, uh, it, it's, there is a three act structure or two act structure to his overall arc between him being Howard and then him being, uh, the I am Grim. Uh, somewhere in the middle point, he gets infected and he quote unquote dies and everyone just assumes he's dead. But the through line is that his relationship with God is so strong that he is often convinced that God is using uh, this sort of like this persona that people look to him as, as a way of acting through him. So much so that after he turns, he continues to attack the other monsters, which is something that's never happened before in this society. He is a grim fighting other grims. Um, there are some characters that I can actually keep quiet because that's part of the mystery, but they are able to awaken him as one of the ascendants. So he has to undergo the death process first before he can come back up as a new living creature. So it's it's a it's a bit of a resurrection. Then. Yeah. And it, yeah, and I, I am raised Catholic. The whole Bible Jesus thing does resonate with me a lot. But resurrection and cyclicalness shows up. And he's not the only person that deals with death. There is another character who goes by the name of Cell, and to use the mental condition uh, theme from earlier, his thing is his depression. He It gets him down, but what he's managed to do is allow his depression to give him more clarity in the world and allow him to see things as, like, as realistic and as logical as he needs him to be. And what he decides to do is actually develop an artificial intelligence system that can learn, called adaptive AI. And he uses himself as the first example of it. Cell eventually commits suicide, but only because he wants to prove his point. So they find him and he's dead and there's this USB key. They plug in the USB key and the Cell program comes alive and it's him. I see. Just I see. as much as it was him as a person. So, sort of like the transcendent uh, movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see. I yeah. See. And people are like, well, is that really him? Is it his soul? And other people are like, well, he put his soul into it. So ipso facto, it is him. So there's a lot of different themes that are explored yeah. through different characters. We have the the sort of mental illness theme that's explored through the character uh, Fletcher who, who yeah. thinks that the world is a video game. We have a sort of... Different characters have different mental illnesses. It's kind of like how, you know, the X-Men have different powers and those different powers put them on different life life, life tracks. Yeah. But then we have the, the singularity that you're exploring through yeah. this character that, you know puts his consciousness into a computer yeah so there are a lot of themes that are that are uh, these different characters that howard meets along the way yeah uh are you planning to uh spotlight these characters and the issues that they're going through as like a single issue like tell a li some stories from their perspective as well it'll come down to if i can do some stories that aren't necessarily like advancing the plot Mm -hmm. Right now, the, the the I'm on track to kind of be a little bit more, I guess, economical about it. Like tell uh, the 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 important story, and then as other people, like you know, Howard he is a protagonist, so it's it's uh, it's a lot of him. Um, the the thought is definitely there. Like there is a lot of like short stories and smaller stories that I want to do, sort of involving in the universe. I'm also thinking about. If I were to say have it ending up adapting into a game or another one of these mediums, I don't want to just tell the exact same story mm -hmm. again because we've seen that it's redoing the story. What I want to do is hold these things up as sort of like lateral pillars to the original story. So if we get to do like a show or a game, there are the opportunities. I mean, for F Fletcher especially because she is the game character, she would probably love to be in a game. And she and uh, and there are a lot of the meta humor would come from the fact that she's treating things as a game, and now we're actually playing a game, and she's the only one that will acknowledge that. So everybody else just thinks it's the same world that they always live in. I see. Uh, you mentioned how you know your sort of religious upbringing informed your sort of interest in resurrection and death and that sort of thing. Oh, is that Lord, the only reason that you're that you're interested in it, or are there other 
reasons that you're fascinated with death and, <laughs> and resurrection. Uh, I appreciate you uh, using the term fascination because that's the term I would use. It's one of those general subjects that, I mean, everyone can at least have the right to talk about. It's not like anybody here is not going to die, but it's also something that maybe we can try standing up to. Maybe it's something that we need to understand and sort of like show some respect for as well. I don't know if, uh, I mean, if we're ever going to like, you know, stop dying. And I also don't think that's a very good idea. I think dying is kind of important in general. It's one half of everything, really. <laughs> um, but I also want us to maybe come to death with a little more of an understanding, almost like, you know, maybe there is a Grim Reaper out there that actually is keeping track of people and being like, oh, he appreciates life, so I'll let him go. He appreciates life, but he did a bad thing, so I'll kill him. And um, this is an opportunity to take that idea and put him into a person and make it logical. I see. So, but so, the, but the way you're describing it is like it's sort of a it's sort of a judge and jury and executioner sort of thing. It sounds like you know when Howard becomes a Grim Reaper, he isn't just a Grim Reaper who you know does his job and kills people and sends them to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. He's a Grim Reaper who judges yeah. who dies and who who lives. Yeah. If you if you want life and you're willing to work for it. He can give you more life. He has this uh, this guild that supports him that refer to themselves as Valkyrie. And they are this kind of like mobile worldwide support unit that um, in a later story can actually be uh, called in on an app. This is when society restructures and we moved on to a new character. But um, the they're all ascendants. You can't be a Valkyrie if you're not an ascendant. And they're kind of like his eyes and ears. They will be the ones that will look out for people who could use a leg up and had have proven that they deserve it. And it's not like it's, you know, it's, here's your immortality, go go nuts. It's like, you know, you still have to work for this. You have to put in the time. Uh, you have to only take life from if everyone sort of like agrees to it. I mean, no authority system will ever be flawless, but Howard believes that he's doing it as fairly as he can do it. Awesome. So, but that that's sort of a heavy a heavy burden. Mm-hmm. What in your background informs this sort of outlook on on life and death and who lives and who dies and well, and working for the life that you have and yeah. those sorts. Well, when you're raised in a uh, religious setting and you fully believe in God, which I did for very many many years, I fell out of God in high school and I was out of God for probably like five or six years. And then I found God again and having this divine figure in my life at an early age made me feel very comfortable with the idea that there are some very large scale, gigantic four dimension, five dimensional forces out there that I can't fully understand. And it's not my prerogative to, because we as three-dimensional constructs can only do so much in our lives but we're we're giving it we're giving it a good we're doing the best we can with what we have and i've also sort of been attracted to the idea that instead of us just assuming that we're all insignificant specks on the planet and that we're nothing more thinking about the idea that we actually have a place in the universe and even though we're sitting in this room right now and there's a sky and everything it's like technically no matter what direction i look there's billions of years going off in any direction and i'm comfortable in the idea that i don't need to know all of that but i'm going to try to know as much of it as i can as for like god himself my fundamental principle for me being happy as a person is that the more i make my final decision that wasn't mine the less happy i am when i've come to things on my own terms and i've made these conclusions that I'm happy with or I'm comfortable with or that I can be critical of, then I feel like I'm, I'm doing better for myself. And it's, and it's, and it's something that I want to encourage other people to do too, is to come to your own terms about something. So my God now, Oh, does, is he, I don't even know if it's a, he, it's like, this is nothing like any religion that I have believed in, although there are certainly some very heavy Catholic influences, because why not? It's it's my reference. It's what I've started with. 
But I mean, my uh, God now is like, you know, maybe God is as big as the universe and maybe God is as small as a speck of dirt. And maybe God isn't just trying to, uh, uh, I don't know, what, put us here and make us do everything on our own. Maybe God is as curious about the future as we are. And we're all kind of like taking this journey at the same time. It's just there's so many possibilities and there's so many ways that we can approach discussing God that it it, it, it bothers me that as much as it may or may not actually be true, we have the time to talk about it. And I really enjoy doing that. And people people aren't doing that enough, you feel. Well, yeah, Is that I what mean, bothers you? It, uh, it, it bothers me because the talks, I feel like, could be about something a little more than just how the religious institution has wronged a lot of people. I mean, all institutions make mistakes because all institutions are made by people and people aren't perfect so of course there's going to be goddamn mistakes and i also feel like a, lo- a lot of there's a lot of resentment and a lot of animosity towards it uh it, it's this thing where you know i don't agree i'm raised roman catholic but i don't agree with the roman catholic church therefore god is dead so you're so you're not really a fan of absolutes or boxes your version of god is more uh circumspect it's more limitless it's more yeah i don't know what's out there so there's a lot to be explored where which means that i can start making assumptions and i can't prove they're true but i can at the very least try to make decisions that would factor in the possibility of it being true so you've taken basically the catholicism that's informed your life and you've removed the restrictions from it and 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 are trying to think about who god is yeah i've removed restrictions but then i started putting in my own restrictions because creatively i think one of the best things you can do is restrict yourself give yourself some rules put some boundaries up say you can't go past this point um like one of the things that i'm working on is this cartoon series and the main character is going to die at a certain point and is going to meet me, the creator of the cartoon series, and we're going to talk about how I'm essentially his god figure. And he says, well, if I'm just a cartoon character and you made all my decisions for me, what's the point of being here? And I say, well, you're here to illustrate a point. You, being the two-dimensional construct, are here because of me wanting you to be here. And yes, you suffered, but I made you suffer to illustrate a point. And then I would have to explain to him that the writer is playing the role of God. And that's why Howard is talking to God in this. He's essentially talking to me. I've just found a way to talk back to him without breaking any rules in terms of like immersion or the reality of the story. So what's happening is that the writer can't just make the character do whatever the hell it is the writer wants the character to do. That's like essentially just playing with a toy the writer has to make sure the character does what the character would logically have done anyways. Given the qualities that the writer has given him. Yeah, as well as the context or and situation. Yeah, exactly. And if that's... that, I mean, that to me is an objective truth because that's what makes writing good. So if that's true, then I guess God could probably just be that same thing, but in the next dimension. God is n- not taking away my free will, but it's his responsibility to make sure that I'm doing the things that I was going to do anyways if I thought I was in full control. The really interesting part is that it all just kind of comes back down to you are here and whatever happens next is whatever it is that happens next. It's like it means everything, but then again, it means nothing. Yeah, perfect. And I, I'm excited to see some of these themes explored in, in your comic. Uh, it, w- it was really nice, you know, chatting with you and Same here. sort of using comics as a gateway into a larger into a larger discussion and Mm -hmm. i I really appreciated that so let let me know before we go where people can find you and how they can get in touch with you okay right on okay um just just do you have like twitter or facebook or yeah are we oh are we wrapping up is that what we're doing yeah yeah okay okay. i'm just gonna wrap up right now okay fair enough i think that like we we had we have a pretty good discussion we have a pretty thorough understanding of like what the comic is about Mm -hmm. and uh yeah and i i think people are really excited given where we've left it in terms of these big ideas of uh you know that you can explore in later issues of the comic and uh, again i'm very grateful to have had the opportunity awesome so so what is your what is your facebook uh, my facebook is uh, joseph ayani j-o-s-e-p-h space 
I-A-N-N-I. Um, my Facebook is mostly like for just actually just personal matters, but you can sure add me. I That's fine. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at tiny enemy shrimp. That's my uh, usual. That's my usual internet tag. Uh, the website is giantenemycomic.com. And the I Am Grim isn't the only thing on there either. There are at least like 100 pages of content, uh, different stories on there too. There's a uh, comic about Diablo 3 for any Diablo fans out there. Uh, I've done some video game stuff, some TV stuff. Uh, one I'm actually going to pull up for you afterwards as uh, the first act of a uh, Star Trek episode, Next Generation, where Picard just completely loses his mind. I'll show you to that. The art, the artist that I got for it is unbelievably good. Awesome, awesome. So if you're a fan of uh, many different strands of geekery, mm-hmm. uh, Joe's your guy. Thanks for coming in, Joe. Thank you for having me. All right, sounds good. See you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 